Welcome to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker, presented by Allen Electric. And now, here's T.J. Walker. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday to you. I hope you're having a great start to the week. Hope you had a great weekend. I know it's Monday. Nobody likes Mondays, but here we are. We'll get through it together. Just an hour left in your workday, hopefully, depending on where you're listening from. Back in the studio today is Trevor. Trevor, glad you're back. I like Mondays. Why do you like Mondays? Because I can watch Monday Night Raw tonight or Monday Night Football, which will be soon happening again. Yeah, that's that's true, but there there is no Monday Night Football right now. So that kind of hurts Mondays, right? And it's saying I get to hang out with you again for for ninety minutes. Yeah, we missed you on Friday. Yeah, I mean, it's been two days off is depressing enough without hearing your voice. Three days is almost suicidal. Well, it was uh, two shows last week that I had to do all by my lonesome. Are you, are you a bigger man because of it? Uh, probably a bigger man for because of what I ate over the weekend. Oh, well, you're hopefully bigger, better. Either way, you're you're an improved gentleman. <laughs> good, good. How many chicken uh, wings well, did you have this weekend? I uh, didn't have any wings this weekend. Now I did go the entire the entire month of July without eating any fried food, which I was pretty proud of. That's and, impressive. And then on Saturday, I indulged in some Chick Fil A because it was August first, and uh, and that was delicious. Although not having fried food for a month and then eating some fried food, it did not sit well with my stomach. What did you pick from Chick-fil-A? Which is ironic because I think I had Chick-fil-A on Saturday as well. Uh, wow. Me, you think me and you were the only people that did it? Quite possibly. Uh, That's eerie. No. I, I, went, I went Saturday afternoon and it was... So did uh, I. It was a zoo. It was terrible. Uh, Chick-fil-A is always packed. But one nice thing about Chick-fil-A is they do a good job of getting you moving to the line. It's not like... When you go to White, you ever driven up towards like a White Castle and see like two cars in a drive through and think, man, this is like a 30 minute wait. I mean, that's, you, you don't get that Chick fil A. They, they move you pretty quickly through the line. They do, they do move you pretty quickly, but it's still, it, it I mean, the line wrapped around the restaurant. So I went inside uh, and it, it still moved pretty quickly, but it's just so many people. Uh, but I, I, I went with the, the chicken nuggets. You can't. You never go wrong with chicken nuggets. If there's one food I could eat the rest of my life, and I can only pick one food, it'd probably be Chick Fil A nuggets. I love uh, them. So, uh, so that's. Do you get the, do you get the like fries we, with barbecue sauce? Dipping no, the fries I, in barbecue sauce is, is. Oh, it's so good. I I couldn't cheat on ketchup like that. Uh, ketchup? No, no, you didn't put ketchup on your nuggets, did you? Oh yeah. Oh, yes, my I did. Lord, it's nasty. Yes, I did. Um, but there, there. Besides our fast food eating habits of the week, I, I thought you're not supposed to be eating fried food or fast food. Well, I cut out sodas completely. Fast foods is, is taken down uh, down several pegs, but they still sneak in on occasionally. <laughs> okay, but I I still, I'm still good on sodas. I'm still drinking my waters. Good. I'm happy uh, to I hear. I, when I, I didn't weigh myself yesterday like I was supposed to, but I was up to 26 pounds. One of my buddies was asking over the weekend how much weight you've lost. Twenty as well, I didn't weigh this week, so I need to get up there tonight or tomorrow to weigh for the week. But I was at twenty six pounds. Okay, good. That's, and that's imagine good. what I could do if I actually started exercising and cut out all my fa- fast foods. Mm, you're not exercising? I thought we were going to get you to take some extra walks. I haven't got up there yet. No, no. 
Jeez, I mean, if you're just losing 26 pounds for not drinking soft drinks, think about it, Trevor. And I have cut out fast foods like 90% of it. I mean, I, I don't, and I don't eat after midnight, and I cut out ice cream altogether as well, too. Uh, well, that was, my, that was my biggest vice was eating, like making uh, homemade milkshakes at like 2 in the morning. Try to walk for 30 minutes a day. Take your Take your dog for a walk. Yeah, but driving to the station in this heat in my car with no air conditioning is almost like walking a mile. Oh, well, I don't know about I that. Just as much. Well, your body's not okay. Well, we can we can go into that stuff later. There is plenty to talk about today. We are going to have Justin rolling on in the second segment to talk UK football recruiting because Trevor, they got a few commitments last week. If you didn't hear, I, I think I did catch you mention that a few times. Did you did you add rolling because you thought I was going to no show on you again today? Well, I did have to have some people call. Well, I had Big Bag Dave call in on Friday. Did you hear the podcast of that? Uh, I did catch the uh, some parts of him talking about his fantasy team, uh, and I can see why. I, I can see how you actually have been competitive in that league, knowing the fact your team does suck. Listening to his roster, what do you mean his roster was great? But didn't he not make the playoffs? He didn't make the his his team last year was unbelievable. Probably one of the better fantasy teams. That's the team that you gave up Marshawn Lynch to, right, for free. Exactly, and he didn't. He did not. He finished dead last. I I, I know. On this show, I probably talk about my fantasy league specifically too much, although I do like talking fantasy in general. Uh, but I, I do need to read you his roster of how this team missed the playoffs. Uh, be, it not only missed the playoffs, which is pretty bad in itself, but also finished last. Uh, and it is a keeper league, and he got the number one pick, so he's going to be, without a doubt, the best team next year. But he had Julio Jones... Jer, uh, let's just go down the list here. Uh, Anquan Bolden, Dwayne Bow, Michael Crabtree, Zach Ertz, Jeremy Hill, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones, Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, Kyle Rudolph, Andre Williams, Russell Wilson. Well, I know why he struggled. One, Julio Jones was in and out of the lineup all year, and every other receiver you just mentioned was about as inconsistent as anybody in the league. Uh, his tight ends were clearly inconsistent. Jeremy Hill, while a nice bright spot, didn't even do anything until about week 16. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, obviously solid. LaShawn McCoy after week one was, was awfully disappointing. So, really, he only had Lynch and Wilson in terms of the consistent uh, production. Yeah, McCoy's a good player. He's got a lot of great names on that team. It is. It is that's I, that, a, that, that's that, mostly that's, what it is. That's why, they, yeah, he was incredibly inconsistent. Uh, but, it was, I mean, it's just... You have a team that has those names on it and finishes last. That's pretty bad. I mean, that's Trevor. a great team for like three years ago when they were it's, all healthy. It should have been a pretty good team last year. Uh, it was hilarious to see him uh, crash and burn. Made me really happy. Uh, <laughs> well, we I mean, need to trade to Marshawn Lynch's best player for nothing. Uh, I got I got some stuff out of it. Really? Don't what, what'd you get out of it, DJ? Well, I don't remember the exact trade. Oh, that, that's that's a good sign, by the way, when you don't even remember what you got. I, well, I I, I didn't. I didn't get the better end of the trade, and I'm really hurting because it is a keeper league. Everyone in our league are such babies that they won't even entertain the idea of trading to keepers. Trevor, I do whatever it takes to make the playoffs, and that's what I did uh, last season. Now I sold my soul to get there, and now I'm going to be in big trouble heading into heading into but how many, this upcoming year. How many but, rings do you have? I've got one ring and uh, two title appearances, which ranks me tied, obviously, for third. Somebody has three rings. Somebody has two. 
Um, I'm pretty much in the middle of the pack on all the fantasy rankings. I'm, I'm like fourth or fifth in playoff wins, um, tied for third, obviously, in titles, tied for third in championship game appearances, or tied for second in championship game appearances with two. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's whatever. All right, here's the trade. I got uh, Joyke Bell, Roddy White, Mark Ingram for Marshawn Lynch. Did, did he give you, like, a uh, gift certificate for a free massage as well? Because that would have been the only valuable thing you got in that deal. No, Roddy White had a pretty good year. Mark Ingram had a good year, and Joy Bell had a good year. Ingram was Ingram was a surprise last year, even though he missed, I think, what, four games, I think, at one point during the season. Uh, Roddy White was – no, nobody on the Falcons did any good last year. Trust me, I know. Roddy that. White did do good last what year. Was, that was, what was Roddy he, White's he, numbers? I Well, I got to pull them up. Hold on one second. Get it in the machine. Uh, let's see. He had seven touchdowns. Ooh. He had 80 receptions, 125 targets. You know, it, it was not his best year, all things considered, but for him being 45 years old, basically, it was a decent number. So 80 receptions, 921 yards, seven touchdowns, uh, which tied for most since 2011 when he was back in his prime. So an, yeah. so an average season, because by week by week, that is nothing spectacular. That's a third or fourth receiver on an average week by week. I would Second or third. <laughs> 80 receptions divided by 14 games. What is that about? What are like five catches a game maybe? That's not bad. On a, that's an average. One game he could have 10 catches, so it means he didn't have any the next game possibly, which is how it probably went. Well, then that would then feast or famine. Uh, it, so the more I look at it, and Joy Bell had an okay year, and then Mark Ingram good. It wasn't as bad as I actually thought it was, to be honest. It still wasn't wasn't, wasn't all good. that great. Uh, but neither neither here nor there. We need to talk about this before we get into uh, talk football recruiting with Justin Rowland. So Isaac Humphreys, Trevor, that was the big news for UK fans, and that's, that's Chris what Humphreys' kind of, nephew, right? That's what I, that's what consumed my. Today's show would have been great for if we just wanted to talk the average nonsense that we usually talk about, uh, but we really do need to get some to some stuff. So Isaac Humphreys is the guy that we mentioned on the show uh, a month or two ago, Trevor, and it's been a while. He was the mystery recruit that could possibly reclassify. Now, everything I had been told, and I kind of feel like a sucker now, was that his cl- class-wise, it wasn't going to work out. It wasn't going to work out, and I had believed it because a lot of people do try to reclassify or look into it a lot a lot more people than you would have ever imagined. Uh, do look into reclassifying, and it, it just it, it's not on the cards or it'd be too much work, this or that. Uh, so when his name was thrown around as possibly reclassifying and UK would, want it, would, would be okay taking him, which I think we both agree that they, they could use some extra depth on the front court, especially if something were to happen injury-wise or with the questions around Scalabissier. You'd want another body up there. So looking into it, uh, again, like I said, I was told that class-wise it wasn't going to work out. Uh, it'd be nice if it did, but it looks like it's not going to. UK is not banking on taking them. This and that. Uh, I heard no from both sides, sources close to UK and sor- sources close to Humphreys. So... Then, this is what happened. This is how my Friday night was spent, Trevor. So, there's pictures floating around the t- or that Jamal Murray's on UK's campus, which isn't that big of a deal because he's a, he's a commit, but nobody really thought he was on campus. Uh, why would he be? School hasn't started. 
but there's pictures of him playing basketball with the UK team. So that's good news. Uh, I, I looked into that, found out that he was on an unofficial visit. He was on campus, uh, but then somebody close to UK, somebody that I know, told me, hey, but there's also somebody else on campus that you might want to look into, uh, and he could also possibly be playing for 2015. Now, when, as soon as I heard that, I knew exactly who it was. So I, I contacted through my guys, found out that it was Isaac Humphreys on UK's campus. Uh, so then I kept asking, I went, is it realistic that he could actually reclassify? And still, people close to Humphreys said, no, class-wise, it's not going to work out. Uh, but then that really got shot down by some some other people I talked to. A lot of he said, she said. I'm kind of giving you an inside look of what it's like to be a recruiting guy when you hear so many different things and you have to try to sort out what is true and what isn't true. So basically, long story short, is they were trying to cl- keep this incredibly close to the vest. The plan is for Humphreys to reclassify, and his classes are looking like it should work out, assuming that he passes all of them. Uh, there will be no official announcement from UK for a few day or for a few weeks. Um, he, all they need to do is get him there by August 26 when school starts. So that's how I spent my Friday, and it seems as if, like I said, everything's a go, and he will end up at UK. Uh, Trevor, what do you think about the addition of a uh, a seven foot Australian player that you probably haven't heard too much about? No, I mean I haven't heard anything about uh, Chris Humphreys' nephew and the. The great cousin, the, the the cousin of Luke Longley in Australia, but I do know this. I don't have to know anything about him, but other than the fact he's seven feet tall, that's exactly what Kentucky needs. I mean, is could is does the guy suck? Maybe I haven't watched him play. Maybe he's good. If he can chew gum and walk at the same time, though, then he he's perfect fit for Kentucky because all you need is a big body to at least use as a backup in case Marcus Lee struggles as a possible backup five. You have trouble maybe going small, which you can do maybe with pointers, even at the five in certain situations, or maybe having to use Willis at the four in some and sometimes that gives you at least another body, a seven foot one of that. And from the reports I've read, he's not exactly, you know, a freak athlete like a Willie Cosh Stein or an Anthony Davis. And again, I mean, really those don't come around that often anyway. So I mean, but he does seem to have a soft touch, can knock down a twelve footer, and he can if he can rebound and and rebound and block a shot or two. Then you know what? All you're looking to mainly get out of him is a cup is a handful of minutes in certain situations. Hopefully, knock on wood, unless there's a Labissier, like you said, injury or, or academic issue that that rears its ugly head. Then you're only needing a handful of minutes out of this kid. I'm not even on a day on a game by game basis, just to stand in there, kind of like the big white dude in the movie Eddie, and just stand under the rim with his arms straight up. It's the. The addition of, for reasons like you said, I think it's big. It, it does provide some depth. Uh, this is a guy that scored in a in a FIBA game against Jamal Murray's Canada team. I guess this would be U17. Uh, this was back in November. Uh, he scored 41 points and 19 rebounds. Now, again, this is a FIBA game, Australia versus Canada. Australia is not loaded with talent. Canada's U17 team is good, but, uh, again, it's not – the competition's not unbelievable. But for anybody to score 40 in, in that game, I think Jamal Murray scored 25 or 27 for comparison's sake. Uh, for anybody to be able to score 41 points and combine that with 19 rebounds, that's impressive. Well, I don't for, care. For, for that tournament, by the way, he averaged 18.9 points, 11.3 rebounds, and 3.3 blocks yep. in the U17 World Championship. Yeah, thank you. Uh, those good are good numbers. numbers. Yeah. Those are, those are good numbers. And uh, the, here's the good thing is if – 
Kentucky had to have Isaac Humphreys come in and be the starting center, you would have legitimate reasons for worry. Uh, they did have to do that with Josh Harrelson and it ended up working out and he was able to be a part of a Final Four team that uh, was you know, three points away from having a good chance to win a national championship. So it wouldn't be the end of the world, but now you have him as backup and you were, you were almost as deep as you were last year. Not, not quite as deep, and it's not quite as talented all the way through. I think you can make a case that the starting five is as talented, but it's not as talented all the way through. Uh, but, but I think the biggest takeaway from if Kentucky does add Humphreys, and again, all signs are pointing to that happening, is this is huge for 2016-2017. Kentucky was not in a great spot with any centers in, in the 2016 recruiting class. They don't seem to be... Uh, there, there's some power forwards that they're in a good spot with, but they certainly aren't in a good spot with any bruising big guys uh, that could really hold down the, the the paint and score on the block. And now they likely have that. Is I think everybody will, um, everybody imagines that Humphreys would be back for a sophomore year. I guess crazier things have happened with of people leaving and being one and dones. But all signs point to him to being back for a sophomore year because. Again, he's gonna he's a good player, but there's plenty for him to work on, and he's obviously going to be behind Scalabissier. Obviously, will be behind uh, Marcus Lee and Alex Poitras on the front court if they wanted to move Scal over to the four. So uh, he's going to be behind some people, and he'll likely be back for a sophomore year. And that's why I think this is such a big addition because you could have a sophomore Isaac Humphreys, you could have a Ty Winyard who. Uh, would be either sophomore or a redshirt freshman. I, I would think it'd be smart to Kentucky not to redshirt him because if he's going to be around for four years anyways, he might not be all that great. Uh, but you're going to have a, a front court a year from now that's going to have some experience, and I think that's big for UK. Uh, we need to switch gears. We're going to come back to this because we didn't spend enough time talking about it. We need to talk to Justin Rowland from Rivals.com. We're going to talk UK football recruiting because, again, last week, uh, six commitments, just nuts. We'll see what he has to say about it. Stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker, presented by Allen Electric. Okay, folks, the guy in front of you is Tommy. He'll be taking you through my little spiel here. Tommy is a Scorpio. He likes biking, and he's never been laid. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. We're back here, 1450, the sports buzz. Joined with Cats Illustrated's own, Rival's own, Justin Rowland. Justin, how's it going? 
It's going great. You know, normally the end of July, the beginning of August is a dead period for me. It's just when things kind of slow down, but there has been no rest over the last two weeks. It's been a hectic time, and hopefully that means it'll die down later on. But it's, it's definitely been fast and furious in U.K. football recruiting lately. Yeah, Mark Stoops joked last week at the the kickoff luncheon, U.K. alumni kickoff luncheon here in Louisville, that it was a quiet week. Nothing really was going on. Uh, obviously, quite the opposite as UK gets a handful of commitments for one for 2016, quite a few for 2017, and even one for 2018. Uh, Justin, off the top of your head, out of all those players committed, which one is most important? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say Jermaine Eskridge, the 2018 commitment, just because he's the best. I don't think there's any question that he's got the highest upside, the highest ceiling. He's from Florida. He's got the opportunity to get a lot of elite players to give Kentucky a serious look, kind of by giving his stamp of approval to the program. They have been looking for that elite out-of-state player, and that could, uh, that could help them with some other guys. But I think it's going to be really hard to hold on to him. And that, that might be unpopular with some Kentucky fans, but there are three years to go. And he's from Florida, and I'm, you know, there's only so much value in a 2018 commitment at this point. So I'm going to say Mac Jones, the quarterback from the 2017 class. I don't think that he's even the best player in the 2017 class that Kentucky has. I think that would be James Hudson, the defensive end from Ohio. But Mac Jones has really been the guy that has got the ball rolling. He was the first 2017 to commit immediately. He brought three guys on board with him. That's not a coincidence. He's an active recruiter. He's well-known. He's been to about a dozen camps. And I think just the impact that he's going to have on the class and the fact that he's a quarterback, I would say Mac Jones is probably the most important. Uh, he kind of seems to be already all all in, as Kentucky's phrase is, on, their, on UK's football program and also committed to getting other guys to join with them, like you just mentioned. With the Jermaine Eskridge, I've had a lot of people ask me, and, and they'd be better off asking you because you know more about this, what percentage would you put on him staying committed to Kentucky, like you said, three years away, 30 months away from being able to sign? And Mark Stoops talked about an early signing period. We'll talk more about that later, but what percentage would you put uh, on him staying committed to Kentucky? No better than 50%. And I'll get some angry people that second-guess and probably, probably a couple angry phone calls after this. But um, I, I would say it's going to be tough to keep him on board. And, and I'm just going off of precedent. You know, all I have to go on is historical precedent. And really, if we're going on historical precedent, then he really shouldn't have committed to Kentucky in the first place just because he's going to be a four- or five-star player He's from Florida. He's got offers from Ohio State and Florida and, and all in Georgia and Michigan and Miami. And, and guys like that just haven't signed with Kentucky in the past. They haven't even committed to Kentucky in the past. And he's never been to Kentucky before. He's got three years to go. He's in the shark tank that's Florida recruiting. So he's right in the backyard of the top FEC, Southern ACC schools, top Big Ten programs are going to be after him. I'm going to say that I think he probably ends somewhere. He ends up somewhere else, but I am a little bit of a cynic, I guess. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a realist. I would say that that it's going to be really tough to, to keep him. But I didn't think they were going to get a commitment from him in the first place. So so take that into consideration as well. 
Yeah, and we're talking with Justin Roll and Rivals.com. And when you say 50%, that's, I think any Kentucky fan would take their chances with a Florida native with the offers that you mentioned that, like you said, will likely be a five-star on Rivals, maybe a high four-star when it's all said and done. I think anybody would take a 50% chance of being able to keep that kid. Uh, and, and your number was a lot higher than I talked about last week on the show. But uh, time will tell. And, and if he can, can just make a connection with some of the other commits and, and, and feel like, uh, Kentucky is truly home for him. You never know what's going to happen, and and I think it's better to have these guys committed right now to have this guy, a, a likely five star, like we said, committed right now just for the the program's reputation, uh, because other other high end recruits are going to notice this, right? They're absolutely going to notice it, and and I have to say, you know, I want to I want to be able to laugh at myself. The last time you had me on the show and you asked me for a percentage, it was the start of March Madness, and you asked me how confident I was that Kentucky was gonna was gonna steamroll through those six games and cut down the nets. And you know, I don't remember the percentage I gave you, but I was very confident, and and I turned out to be wrong on that. I think I'm probably being a little bit optimistic and saying fifty percent. Um, I think you're probably right. It's probably a little bit less than fifty percent. But to your point. It absolutely is going to catch a lot of people's attention. There's no doubt about that. You know, um, that, that's one hurdle that you have to clear, and, and one hurdle that this staff has had to clear. You know, it's one thing to get the top players in Kentucky. Kentucky's always going to be a top contender for in-state players. It's another thing to go into Ohio and and get the guys in that next tier down from from the ones that Ohio State and Michigan really want. It's a completely different ball game to go into Florida and Georgia and to get a kid that Florida and Georgia really want. And you know, even if he doesn't sign with Kentucky, you don't even think about that. That's three years from now, it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, a lot can happen in three years. What it will do is all of the top players in Tampa, all the top players in Florida know this kid. They're going to know this kid. They're going to see him at camps. He's going to be he's going to be representing Kentucky at all these combines, all these places that he goes, and it's going to make a lot of them say, "Hey, you know, this kid committed to Kentucky. What's going on there?" And and frankly, recruiting is a lot about status, and that's kind of one of the unspoken um, things in, in recruiting is these kids want status, they want prestige, and frankly, in the past, Kentucky hasn't given a kid the status that he's looking for, especially a kid of this of this caliber, but, you know, that only changes when players change it, and I'm sure the staff is hoping that that's what's going to come from this commitment. And we did, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the NCAA tournament at the beginning, uh, because we did have somebody tweet in saying they wanted you to, to talk about you saying there was a cakewalk for Kentucky to the NCAA championship, but you, you kind of touched on that. Yeah, well, you know, if you ask me the question again and they started they started that whole thing over again, I would probably give you the same answer. I still think it was a major upset, but then again, you know, I'm I'm like a lot of sports writers, I have a hard time inventing when I'm wrong. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was I was still shocked with how it played out and you know, sure. I'm just glad you don't have the clip to play, uh and, and you didn't lead into it with that. That would have that would have not made my day. Justin, if I had, uh, if I played a clip every time that I was wrong, I wouldn't have any live air. It, it'd be all recordings on my show. Uh, but I, I also thought Kentucky should have won the national title. I thought there were maybe three teams that could have beat them, and Wisconsin and Duke were, unfortunately for UK, two of those teams. But uh, we, we brought you on here to talk good news in UK football, and there's been plenty surrounding that uh, of the last few weeks. Uh, the, 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 two, the only 2016 commit that they have lately is Kobe Smith. Uh, who was a, originally a, a North Carolina State commit. I know UK staff was high on him. 
what will he bring to the table? He's a guy that uh, can make an impact as early as next season if, if things go according to plan for him. So what is Kentucky getting in Smith? Well, he's six foot three, three hundred fifteen pounds. He plays with a low center of gravity. He keeps his back straight. He stays low. He gets off the ball really well for somebody that's probably going to play the three technique. He's not just a space here. I mean, if you watch this guy's camp footage against some really good players, and he was at the same rivals camp, incidentally, that Cash Daniel was at when he really, uh, when he really made a name for himself, and they ranked similarly at that event. Um, just for context, and you know, Cash Daniel became a very hot commodity, and this, this guy has been a hot commodity for a long time. It's so hard to build depth at defensive tackle, just because the pool of players that are 300 pounds and up that can move, that have endurance at that age, the pool is so small. And so typically, the best defensive tackles congregate at the same handful of schools, and it just becomes really difficult to build depth there. And in no other conference is defensive tackle, that nose tackle position in Kentucky's three-man front, no other conference is it more important to build depth there. And so they already had a little bit. Jaquise Cross was a three-technique that was committed earlier, but he was a bit of an unknown. You really have to rely on the staff's assessment of him. They had a chance to work with him. Everybody acknowledges that Kobe Smith is a big-time talent. He was a huge loss to NC State's recruiting class when he decommitted. And, you know, NC State's a program that has a lot of a lot of momentum right now. The way that they ended last season, they picked up three four-star in-state running backs last year. So to beat them out for a recruit that was committed to them for a long time is no small task. And he was one of their best commitments, if not, in my mind, their best commitment in the 2016 oh. class, and, and, you know, our Southeast regional analyst on Rivals, Woody Womack, compared this guy favorably to Matt Elam. And, mm-hmm. you know, he certainly has fewer questions than, than Matt Elam did at this point when you talk about weight, you know, his frame, and, and projecting, you know, potential pitfalls. I, I think this kid's phenomenal. And you had mentioned... Uh, Jaquiz Cross and, and UK's evaluation, and I, 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 that reminded me on Friday at the kickoff luncheon here in Shannon Dawson talk, and he was asked about what he looks for in a quarterback because for any offensive coordinator, any head coach, they look for different things. And and Shannon Dawson said he didn't care about an offer sheet. Uh, when you look, and I know you mentioned Mac Jones earlier in this in this segment, uh, you mentioned that he only had, well, I'm mentioning that he only had an offer from Kentucky and East Carolina, and I think Shannon Dawson brought that point up that he didn't care about an offer sheet for that exact reason. Uh, He said the one thing he looks for in a quarterback is somebody that is accurate because that's something he felt that you couldn't really coach and that needs to pass the eye test, and that would be the Shannon Dawson eye test. So what does that mean for UK's future going forward? As long as Shannon Dawson is the offensive coordinator, you can expect Kentucky to get blank type of quarterbacks kind of fill in that, that spot there. He likes guys that that throw perfect spirals. He likes guys uh, that that the, the ball comes out of their hands really well. Um, you know, he, he's, he very, very much values accuracy and decision-making, and he um, he's not going to get caught up in the trap of projecting a guy's NFL potential at 17 years old. And I've kind of seen the irony here for, for, for a little while, and that is, you know, Neil Brown, a lot of people would say, has kind of that dink and dunk offense where, you know, you're throwing a lot of short passes to the perimeter, and, and Dawson's going to have some of that too. But really, 
Neil Brown's offense was the one that should have been all about accuracy. Texas Tech, his quarterbacks averaged like 70% completion percentage. But it was Neil Brown that elevated Patrick Toll, the NFL prototype, to the starting position. And conversely, Shannon Dawson, the, the quarterback coach or offensive coordinator at West Virginia, with the quarterbacks who took shots downfield, is the one that's kind of moving away from that NFL prototype and moving in the direction of the quarterbacks that might have more question marks about their NFL potential, i.e. size and, and a, a rocket arm or whatever, um, and, and maybe have the intangibles that are sometimes overlooked. And, uh, and you know, I, I'd say that, that he's definitely a departure from Brown. Another area of departure, his quarterbacks that he's offered, and Mac Jones fits into this category, are not mobile quarterbacks. He wants pocket passers, and, and I think that's, that's pretty clear at this point. Yeah, that uh, it's interesting to see different co- coaches have different priorities or, or different traits that they look for in a quarterback. And ultimately, with a guy like Shannon Dawson, we don't really know uh, his track record all that much right now because we knew at West Virginia he had um, the, the head coach, Holgren, was calling the majority of the plays there. Uh, but you have to kind of trust his opinion in some of these circumstances, and I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. But last question before we let you go, Justin Rowland, uh, is you'd mentioned a comparison to Matt Elam. This is a popular question amongst Kentucky fans all the time. What have you heard about Matt Elam? Where is he at right now, and, and what kind of impact could he make this upcoming season, which is just about a month away? Well, he had a long way to go. I know I – know- Defensive line coach Jimmy Brumball was extremely high on this guy when they, when he came into the program, but it was largely based on potential and projecting again two or three down, years down the road. Well, yeah, once the guy loses 50, 60, 75 pounds, he's going to be fine. Um, but, you know, he's moving in the right direction. He is transforming his body well. Um, he's just got he, – he's still got a long ways to go. And, and I don't want to, you know, scare anybody – in saying that, he is closer to being ready, but you know I think he's going to need this this last year um, before some guys exit the program. Um, he's going to need this added year before he's ready to step into a starter role. I would expect his his snaps to significantly increase this year, but if you're expecting you know the kid to come in and be an all SEC performer, I would say it's probably still not going to happen. His endurance will be better. His explosiveness, his jump off the snap will be better, but I would say that once again people should temper their expectations. Yeah, I think that's fair. I know when you have that high end of a recruit that uh, that that chose Kentucky over Alabama, everybody wants results as soon as possible. But but in the trenches in the SEC, it's a different animal. Okay. Yeah. No, I absolutely absolutely agree with that. You know, he um he was rated a five star by one network. By and I'm not going to mention the network. <laughs> he was rated a five star coming out of a strong camp at Alabama, and that was largely on the basis of his potential. And that's when Elam's stock really soared. That's when a lot of people's expectations really just went went frankly out of control. And you forget that the kid was like 400 pounds in high school. And I think rivals had him as a three star, a high three star. Somebody can legitimately dispute that on the basis of his performance in the U.S. Army All American game. I think he. He held his own against the best players in the country there. But in the SEC, yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to overwhelm anybody, you know, just by being big. You know, you've got to be able to position your body and take the right angles and be more than just a big presence on the field, especially in the SEC, like you said. I agree. Well said, Justin. Thanks a lot for hopping on, and we'll talk to you here soon. All right. Thank you, TJ. Justin Rowland, CatsIllustrated.com. Always great to kind of pick his brain with UK recruiting news. 
We're going to head to a commercial break right now. We'll be back. We need to still talk Isaac Humphreys. need to talk about some other things that happened over the weekend. Uh, American Pharaoh raced and dominated. We'll certainly discuss that. So stick around. We'll be right back here on You're listening to the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. I like to eat ice cream and I really enjoy a nice pair of slacks. Presented by Allen Electric. Scott Tissue that I wish you saw. Sock after Mr. Know It All. I'll close your eyes and I'll kiss you because with the birds I'll share. With the birds I'll share. Fifty the sports buzz. Good time to remind you that the sports talker is brought to you by Allen Electric, Kentuckyana's first and only electrician dedicated to residential repairs. That means your house. Give them a call six three six help for any electrical service. Allen Electric will never leave you in the dark. Anything stand out about Justin Rowland's conversation with me, Trevor? Uh, nothing in particular, other than the fact that I wish he, I wish I knew the date of those comments he made in March Madness, like so I'd have brought him up. Yeah, I don't, I don't specifically remember it either, but Captain Arctic had tweeted, it, tweeted in before Justin had even talked, saying that we needed, to, we needed to talk to him and ask him about his UK tournament prediction. I remember Justin was super confident, though, that Kentucky would win the title. Back at the end of the year, we had to make a prediction about UK athletics at the end of, for like a New Year's thing that we did. On the website, and everybody really liked it. Justin's was Kentucky wouldn't lose a basketball game in all of 2015. So not only did he think that they were going to go undefeated throughout January, February, March, April, but he also thought November and December, uh, and he wasn't terribly far off. He got all the way through January, February, and March before Kentucky came up just short in the in the national semifinal. Uh, so he was always pretty confident. I forget what mine was. I think mine was that UK football was going to go to a bowl game in 2016. So mine is has yet to be determined. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know exactly when he said that, Trevor, or, or I could even give you a date to get that soundbite. I don't think he can, has to be really hanging his head low. It's not like he was the only unconfident person for Kentucky going into that tournament. Yeah. no, I don't, I don't think he's standing by himself going, am I really the only guy that picked Kentucky to win this thing? Well, I wonder if uh, – would you bet on Kentucky if they ran the tournament back? If they said, hey, everybody, come back to college, come back to your teams, we're going to do the tournament again. Um, I mean, just straight up, you know, no odds, you mean? Well, who would you pick to win the, the tournament? Would you pick Kentucky? Would you pick Duke? I mean, Wisconsin's probably kicking themselves for not winning the title too. Uh, if they just re- – if they redid everything – I think I would bet on Kentucky because I would think by this point uh, Cal Perry knows Aaron Andrew Harrison belongs on the bench and Ulysses doesn't. <laughs> oh, 
You need, just, come on. You just you're, you you're, it right there to me, man. You're you're goofball. <laughs> you're goofball. Uh what did you make of you watch American Pharaoh race yesterday? I did not watch American Pharaoh race. I did hear he won a race, though. Uh, I believe it was the the Leave It to Beaver Eddie Haskell uh, Open or something. I think it was called. I, that, that's exactly what it was. Was it, it was, really the Eddie Haskell Open or something? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> uh, that that is it is the Eddie Haskell Open. Okay, what... it was the, next week is the uh, Odor Eaters uh, foot 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 Odor Eaters Open. Um, no, I, you know, it's, it's the fact that he races, I'm glad, you know, we had this argument or I don't want to say argument, maybe debate or conversation, however you want to describe it after the triple crown. And I, I can't, I think you were on the side of shutting him down and, and I was not, and still am not that, you know, I, he should get out there and race and hopefully he will, won't, this won't be his only race. And this is just a, you know, a stepping stone to him being in the breeders cup and maybe in just staying active until next year's triple crown begins. Cause at that point, then you can retire officially and go out to stud. But you know, yeah, it, it's I I did not, I did not like him racing in this. I really didn't like him racing at all. But once they said that he was going to, I said, all right, well, just race in the Breeders' Cup and then close up shop. But that is a long time for a horse not to have a competitive race, so it makes sense that to run him in something. But without a doubt, if he were to lose Trevor, that would hurt his legacy, and it would hurt the buzz for the Breeders' Cup if he lost before the Breeders' Cup. I don't know. I don't know if it would hurt his buzz completely. I mean. If it, anything, I mean, it, it, it would. I, what, would it hurt his buzz? Maybe a little bit. Would it bring attention to horse racing? Yes. And is it really a bad way to bring attention to horse racing aside from having to put a horse down that, that's being loved or some kind of scandal? No. Well, I mean, if he uh, loses, that, that that brings horse racing into the, the spotlight. Now, it's not a good spotlight for American Pharaoh. Maybe not the greatest spotlight for horse racing, but it does still bring him in a spotlight in terms of being on a you know, on the ticker and, and on all your sports shows and, and being brought oh, about I, like we are right here on, on this show. I under, I understand that. And, and him racing and more in racing and racing after the Triple Crown, and it looks like he's going to even race maybe a few more races, that's, that's better for horse racing than just putting him to stud, although that's not what I would do if I were the owner of, of American Pharaoh. I mean, you can still put him to but stud I, eventually. I, here is a horse that... Everybody got behind. Everybody kind of fell in love with across the country, especially here in Louisville and and throughout Kentucky, because he is a triple crown winner. And a lot of people, including me, had never seen a triple crown winner in our lifetime. So I want I want to think of him on the highest level. I want to think of him as maybe one of the best horses to ever live, if not the best. So if he were to lose, especially before the Breeders' Cup, that would likely mean that he's losing to a horse that's not all that good. It would hurt his legacy a little bit. Now, in 50 years, you'd still say, oh, yeah, American Pharaoh, that was the first horse I saw win the Triple Crown. Hell, maybe the only horse to, to win the Triple Crown with the way things are looking. Uh, but I was So I was kind of nervous watching him race yesterday, but it was very clear after they started that he was not going to lose that race. He was significantly better than the other horses racing. And I don't know if I've ever seen an end of a race with a horse being, or with a jockey being so... I, I guess cocky maybe would be the word, uh, but he didn't whip. It didn't. He didn't whip American Pharaoh. He didn't even look back to see if anybody was close. Uh, and it he he should have won that race by maybe a dozen lengths, but uh, ended up it, it being a little closer than the race really was because he didn't 
push American Pharaoh at all. He better dominate his, the freaking Eddie Haskell Open or whatever it's called. I mean, he got got a million dollars for winning it. I mean, I guess I'd never heard of the race until I mean, it came up yesterday when I saw the American Pharaoh was in it. I don't think anyone even even known outside of the people that were in the attendance would even care about that race is going on or people that go to TVG on a regular basis uh, if American Pharaoh wasn't in it. And, and if he did lose, I mean, maybe it would damper a little bit. But, I mean, Muhammad Ali's, I mean, without, I mean, to me, without a doubt, it's the greatest boxer of all time, and he's got numerous losses under his belt. I mean, you just because you have a loss, you know, Michael Jordan lost in several series. You know, though some people still claim him to be the greatest basketball player of all time. doesn't mean you, you don't have to go undefeated just to be considered the greatest. You don't have to be, but what if Muhammad Ali didn't lose a, uh, a fight? Well, he'd still be the greatest. He's the greatest. For, he's the greatest with what six losses under his belt to begin with. He lost but, his last three fights. Yeah, but if he hadn't lost a fight altogether, he'd probably be considered maybe the greatest athlete of all time. Well, and then you put uh, what is who's the uh, Rocky Marciano who did go undefeated? I believe. I mean, maybe they consider him the greatest of all time. But uh, so I, I don't want to see American Pharaoh lose. Uh, it would bum me out. So what's next for him? He could race in uh, Saratoga, which is in New York, for the uh, the Travers Stakes, uh, or he could go to Philadelphia for a race. the 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 one in New York is August 29th. The one in Philadelphia is September 19th. There's also one in Del Mar in Southern California, uh, which is also in September, and and that's. Uh, close to where trainer Bob Baffert lives, so they might feel inclined to race him in that. And then obviously the Breeders' Cup is October 31st. I'd say just race him one more race and then just get to the Breeders' Cup, hopefully being undefeated, and then that could be one of the most watched horse races maybe of, I, I can't say all time, but it would be up there. And it would be at Keeneland, the most beautiful racetrack in, in the country, uh, and I would have tickets for it. Kentucky plays Tennessee that day, too. It, it could be a nice little weekend here in the Bluegrass, What's Trevor. What's a harder ticket to get, uh, Breeders' Cup with American Pharaoh competing or Kentucky-Tennessee uh, football ticket? I would probably guess Breeders' Cup. <laughs> but I am curious to see. There's no, And I have had this debate with some of my friends. There's no way Kentucky will make that UK-Tennessee game a day game. Uh, supposedly, the Breeders' Cup in Keeneland asked UK, hey, be on the road that week. Tell the SEC you need that date uh, on the road or for a bye week. Uh, UK likes to to ha- have that weekend. Uh, so I, I don't really know why, but that's just what I was told, is they like to be playing during Halloween weekend. Um, so they, they said that they can't promise that. They're not going to go out of their way to do that. Well, what better time can your fans wear bags on their head and say it's just a costume? Your jokes just aren't even clever, oh, Trevor. come on. That was decent. It's just not you're just not even clever, uh, but so anyways. Before I was so rudely interrupted, um, <laughs> uh, I want to vote. Would move it so so, so there's no way that UK would make that a a day game during the Breeders' Cup. So it could be a nice doubleheader. Where I actually think the Breeders' Cup could help the Commonwealth crowd instead of hurt it, like so many people think it's going to. Uh, but if you have Breeders' Cup, which generally goes off, it goes off pretty late. It goes off ar- around six. But it'll start getting dark in Lexington around, you know, six thirty. So they have to they have to get it off before it gets dark. I would imagine. 
but you have the Breeders' Cup let off then, and then UK plays. I'm sure it'll probably they'll play Tennessee likely on SEC Network at 7:30 for that 7:30 slot. You'll have a bunch of shuttles taking people directly over to Commonwealth. It'd be a very boozed up crowd. I think it could actually help attendance if they plan things out the right way. If they have the Breeders' Cup the same time, or if they have the Breeders' Cup and they have UK play a, a noon game or a 3:30 game. The crowd's going to be terrible. It's just going to be terrible at UK's game because everybody who's anybody in Lexington is going to try to get a ticket to go over to the Breeders' Cup because when's it ever going to be back at Keeneland? It's never been there to begin with, and it might be such a disaster with how many people they're going to try to squeeze in such a little area, they're never going to come back. So um, they'd be wise to move that game to a to a night game, and I imagine they probably will. Clay well, B116, well, go on, Trevor. I was say, doesn't that all depend on kind of also how the season unfolds for both Kentucky and Tennessee on where the times and if Kentucky is struggling has as you know obviously in the start of the season they don't want maybe losses to Missouri Florida and Auburn at that time going in and maybe even you know Mississippi State they play a pretty damn tough schedule the first part of the month first month of the season you know first come, uh, going in that Tennessee game then they do put them at noon it does interact with the Breeders Cup but if Kentucky's looking at a, a non-bowl situation at that point in the season then it really makes it pretty easy on which which event you're going to go to in Lexington well, sometimes the noon game isn't – sometimes they actually put the worst SEC game at 7.30 because then you're competing with generally ABC will have a game. Yeah. All the other uh, ESPN networks will have games at 7.30 slot – or that 7 o'clock slot. So generally, the worst SEC game goes on at 7.30 and then uh, one that is actually better generally goes on at noon or 12.30. Or 3.30. So uh, 3.30 – do they have an SEC network 3.30 slot? I would. I just assume they did. I mean, usually they do twelve, three thirty, and seven thirty. I mean, it's usually. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, or three thirty. So seven thirty, seven thirty, and three thirty would generally be the worst of those times, because then you're competing with CBS, obviously, with the SEC game of the week. Uh, but I would imagine Kentucky, if they're smart, would say, "Hey, I don't, I don't care about TV network. You put us at seven thirty. Even you know, even if Kentucky and Tennessee are having good seasons, I think they're going to say." Just put this game on SEC Network. I don't know if that's their call, but I think they would try to do anything they could in their power to make sure that they don't compete against the Breeders' Cup because you're not going to win that competition from a from an attendance standpoint. And, and yes, you are right that the uh, it, it's tough and it's not tough, Trevor. It, it really depends on those Florida-Missouri games because if Kentucky goes on the road and loses to South Carolina, you could be four and you could be four and three i'd say that probably would be if you lost to south carolina you likely lose to auburn likely lose at mississippi state uh, it's not unrealistic to be four and three heading into that tennessee game and there'd still be a lot of buzz around uk football at that time and tennessee i think is going to have a pretty good year uh, i think vegas said that they are the 14th best team and i always generally try to go by vegas because they know what they're talking about 14th best team in the country. I don't know how their schedule sets up. Uh, that could actually be a, a really good game. Now, if Kentucky does lose to Florida, Missouri, then you're right. There wouldn't be a lot of sex appeal around it, and, and maybe UK at that point wouldn't really care. Maybe they'd want to go against the Breeders' Cup to have that as an excuse. Uh, but, but, but time will tell. That should be in a, a really exciting month for UK athletics with Big Blue Madness, some UK football games, the Thursday night game against Auburn, Breeders' Cup being in Lexington. Uh, this fall is going to be great for, for the Commonwealth, and I'm excited about it. We're going to head to commercial break. We'll come back, have a tweet to read from Clay B116, 
and also need to preview the running backs, UK football running backs, as our series continues after taking a, a break on Friday as Trevor was absent. So stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We will be right back. Cedar knob, a bunch of mites. Run you off the boards. You got to squeeze them back in the paint. Make them chuck it from the cheap seats. Watch that purgatory they call a gym. No drive, 12 foot in. Now, back to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. Presented by Allen Electric. We're back here. One final segment on 1450 of the Sports Buzz. It should be a long one. Clebby116 wants to say that Secretariat lost second race after Triple Crown. No one remembers it in discussing his legacy. Uh, but also Secretariat was so dominant in those Triple Crown races. Not that American Pharaoh wasn't, but he also didn't have the racing times that, that Secretariat had. Uh, but... And, you know, but maybe if he didn't lose those races, that would be a part of his legacy that's not there, Clavy116. Maybe if they had said that, hey, uh, after he won the Triple Crown, he had never lost another race again. But at least That'd he be- ran. I mean, would, would, would it sound even worse if he said, we never lost again, but then he never ran again? I mean, at least. I'd be okay, I'd be okay with that. Go out when you're on top. But, but I do. No, but I, I would say that that would. You know, if you want to be considered the best horse of all time, Trevor, I do think you probably you probably do need to run a little bit after the Triple Crown. But I do think you run the risk of losing and kind of uh, diminishing the Triple Crown feat even in the slightest bit. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be considered an awesome horse, but if you do run and you do lose, people aren't going to think of you as unbeatable as they did during that two-month stretch when you won the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. I don't know. I'm with Clay. I didn't even know Secretary lost that race. I had no idea of that until now. I'll trust, I knew that I'll, he – I'll trust his I didn't opinion. Know, I, didn't, I didn't know it was the second race out of his Triple Crown, but, I, yeah, he lost He lost several. I think he lost four or five races in his career. And no one's it's ever just, doubted him being one of the – probably, if not arguably, the greatest horse of all time. But like I said, it's because he dominated uh, the – he set records in all three races at the time. So, anyways, it's uh, I, I I I want the best for American Pharaoh. He's the background on I my phone. <laughs> I I love this horse. I'm gonna get this awesome thing framed about uh, him winning the Triple Crown, and I just I want him to be considered because he's he is the Secretariat of our generation, Trevor. So of course I want him to be considered maybe the best horse of all time. So I can say, yeah, I was, uh, well, now, a young, I was a young whippersnapper when American Pharaoh was dominating the horse racing game. Two, two parts to this one. And I want to get back to why he's the background on your phone, but first off, I mean, <laughs> is, is he just, I mean, you say he's the secretary of our time just, but because he won the triple crown. I mean, did, I mean, is that the only reason? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good start when you haven't had one since 1978. Well, I mean, 
but that doesn't necessarily make you. Is that I mean that means any triple crown winner can be considered secretariat. Secretariat's on the as you mentioned dominated and in, uh, in a fashion no other horse has ever matched. Well, I I think American Pharaoh if, if, dominated. If, if a horse wins the triple crown next year, I mean, does, what, then, what, then, does it, what does that consider American Pharaoh? Does is that get bumped off your phone and off that list of being the secretary of of our generation? He probably would get bumped off my phone. And yes, we would have that conversation about which horse in our generation was more dominant. Uh, and I'm sure there was probably, you know, the '70s saw several Triple Crown winners. I'm sure there were some conversations about whether or not a horse could be in the same conversation as Secretariat, and maybe well, those conversations if a horse can be in the same uh, breath as American Pharaoh for our generation. But as of right now, because we don't have really anybody else, American Pharaoh is the Secretariat of our generation. I mean, is American Pharaoh is he that head and shoulders above a horse like Big Brown that dominated the first? I mean, yes, was dominant but just fell short yes. in the Triple Crown. Did he win a triple crown? No, he That's didn't. The beginning and end of conversation. I mean, does that so? I mean, so one player is more dominant because he wins a championship over another one. So Elijah hey, well, is, is, well, that, not, is clearly a better player than Patrick Ewing because he has rings. No, let's not do that because those are completely different animals. Okay, and, well, literally, completely yeah, different animals. Not, not figuratively, literally. All right, then let's get but, back to the the, key, the 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 more important subject. Why you have a horse as your background, your phone, and 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 more, and also what was Hannah's reaction to that? Uh, Hannah's fine with it. It's it's an awesome what, picture. What about it really Abe? Prob- what was his reaction? It it probably really is. Abe Abe would not be pleased to know this. It probably has been on my phone too long. But now that he's back in conversation, and the Breeders' Cup isn't too far away, I, I think this is getting me more pumped up for the Breeders' Cup. It's that awesome picture of uh, uh of the jockey looking back, and it, it's clear that he had won the Triple Crown. Um, and it's the shot up with Belmont Park in the background. It is. Uh, it's pretty cool. I'm a big fan. Okay. I'm, but yeah, it's probably it's probably time to get a new one. I would. Do you, I would do say. You often put sports figures as your background on your phone. No, not really. Not people. Not sports people. It will generally be Abe or Hannah or maybe a pretty picture that or I took horse. or something <laughs> or a horse. But uh, no, it's not like I I put like basketball recruits on my background of my phone. That would be pretty weird. <laughs> that would be actually very unusual. Especially if you were talking to one, your phone rang and this picture popped up on your phone. I'd love to hear the explanation of that. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that man, that would not be, uh, that'd be not be good. But, um, anyways, we'll, we'll, we've got plenty more time to talk about horse racing and he may, uh, may run in more races before the Breeders Cup. And it's not even a guarantee that he'll race in the Breeders Cup. Although it seems like his owners, the Zyads, they, they love money and a $5 million purse in the Breeders Cup. Why would you not race the best horse in the country in, in that race to be able to just take home a cool five mil? Plus, you, I don't can, know. plus you can use that as, as a way to, to charge Burger King more money to stick the king behind you. And even maybe even Monster can give you more money for wearing their slogan in, in, the, in the winner's circle. Yeah, that would be. Uh, you know, if you like money, that I, I don't see why not. Um, we'll see. Anyways, we need to get this football running back preview going right now uh, because we didn't get to do it Friday, and we're running out of time today. I skipped the show on Friday to avoid doing this, and you did, and you did this to me. I'm, that's the reason I, I, that's the reason I didn't come in Friday. I was like, I don't want to talk about UK running backs with him. I was I like, didn't, I'm just not going to go to work. I didn't do it Friday because I thought you – would be mad if I did it without oh. you. You texted me the day before. You said, all right, you know, who should I keep an eye on? You were doing your homework, and I was proud of you. I did. And now you're telling me that you don't want to do it? No, I'm just messing with you, though. Okay, good. Well, now, now, you know, I was just being clever. All right, you going to play the segment intro?
Uh, sure. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mike on. <laughs> All righty. That's good. That was good stuff. I hope, yeah. everybody, I hope everybody enjoyed the intro. Uh, really, the, the running back debate is maybe a bit a bit more complicated than the quarterback one, but not not really. I think uh, the running back position is the strength of this offense. I feel it's really uh, one of the better running back cores Kentucky's had maybe ever, but certainly in the in the last since I've been covering UK football, I think it has a, a chance to maybe be one of the better ones in the SEC. I know that that sounds like a lot because you do have some unbelievable running backs throughout the conference. But I think this is the year Stanley Williams becomes a household name, Trevor. Uh, I think this is the year he gets the the majority of the carries and has some more plays like you saw him against Louisville and you saw him against Florida. Uh, He's an unbelievable athlete. But now, uh, as so many coaches have said, when you're coaching a freshman running back, basically you're just using them for their athleticism and they're not really understanding what it means to be a running back at this level. This is the year I think he kind of makes the next step to not only being a freak athlete, but putting two and two together and becomes an, a, a great, a great smart back, knowing what holes to hit, where to run, when to turn it on, and when not to turn it on. And the conversation doesn't begin and end with Stanley William because you have a guy, a, a junior in JoJo Kemp, who does understand what it, what it takes to be a running back in the SEC. You saw uh, him get his numbers, uh, number of carries really cut. After that South Carolina game and 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 into the season as the season as Stanley Williams got more and then you have a guy that nobody's really talking about and Miguel Horton who has the best body of any of the running backs and, and six foot one two hundred twenty six pounds is uh, very imposing so it's a deep position you did lose Braylon Hurd to the NFL draft but it's athletic it's skilled it's big it's got everything you want in an SEC running back court Trevor. And, and this is this is running back core is going to be an interesting topic for this season because it's something that goes back to what we talked about the quarterback position where we talked about Tolls having to do a lot more than maybe he shouldn't have to do. And Boom Williams, I mean, yes, two of the last three games of the season, especially George and Lowell, showed like you've got, you're going to have your number one back. Then again, you also had five carries for one yard against Tennessee, but then again, no one had any offense against Tennessee other than Tennessee themselves in that game last year. The que- you've got to have somebody step up and be a number one back for Kentucky. That that's that's concern I have if I'm a UK fan in terms of offensively, other than the wide receiver position, which we'll get into, I'm sure tomorrow or one of the days coming up. Because the stat I've talked about more often than not, tolls was 145 carries last year. 145 carries, TJ combined. Braylon Hurd and JoJo Kemp combined for 143 carries last year. He had more than both your top two running backs in carries, and of course didn't have the yards to match. You've got to get a number one. That was the Kentucky's biggest problem for me last year was it wasn't finding a good running game at some times. Braylon Hurd obviously looked like one of those kind of Barry Sanders stats, stat lines where he'll carry the ball three times and get negative yards and one carry for 60 yards. Now he's gone. JoJo Kemp steps into that place. I agree with Mikael Horton. Had a nice little run last year, 59 carries. Can be a nice little rotation back. But somebody's got to be a go-to guy. Whether it's Boom Williams, whether it ends up being JoJo Kemp, I don't know if he can withstand that or even be a Horton, somebody has to step up and be a guy that says, listen, I can take 18 to 20 carries in this game. I can take you know, no minimum of 15 carries. Because if you're just going to keep rotating week in, week out, by thinking which guy's going to get the 10 carries and which guy's going to get maybe five carries, and then you're asking Tolls to carry the ball as much as he did last year, then you're going to end up not only having a season like you did last year where you'd miss a bowl game, but you might have a season where you don't even win five games. 
that's important for both Patrick Tolles' progression as well as maybe – and you can look at the offensive line as something we'll get into, and I think it's improved because of experience coming back. But the running backs have to take pressure off that quarterback position big time next year or it's going to be – you're not taking any steps forward, in my opinion, in this, in this program. I agree, and I, I – I think you're spot on there, but I do think I, I think I may be a bit more optimistic that UK will be able to do that, uh, and I think the running backs will be able to uh, carry some of the pressure, some of the weight of the offense, make open up the passing game because I think defenses may even key in on the running back uh, with how how talented they are. And it, it, it Jojo Kemp is the interesting thing for me because I am incredibly optimistic about Stanley Williams and maybe. This time next year, I say, okay, maybe we needed to pump the brakes on him. Maybe he didn't have as good as a year, a sophomore year as we thought. It's still relatively young for a running back in the SEC to be a sophomore and, and dominate. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be exceptional. And I think, um, obviously, you need depth of the position, and certainly in a, in a conference as physically demanding as the SEC, but really any conference when it comes to college running backs. And I think Kentucky has the depth. But I am curious about JoJo Kim because he, he had a a really weird year. Uh, Seventeen, he he won that game for Kentucky against South Carolina. Seventeen carries, one hundred and thirty three yards. Most of those coming out of the Wildcat. Three touchdowns. But then the next four games after that, he only combines for fourteen carries and uh, twenty eight yards, twenty seven yards. Uh, and then even after the remainder of the year, he only had 20 carries after the South Carolina game. And the South Carolina game was the, the fifth game of the season. So after that, he only had uh, 20 carries after having 17 in South Carolina. Something happened. Maybe he was in the doghouse. Maybe he got on the coaching staff's bad side. Maybe he blew up uh, complaining. I, I don't know. And I, and I don't really want to speculate. But something happened with him. Now, it will be important for him to get back in the good graces of the coaching staff. It'll be important for him to have the right mindset uh, my, mindset going into this season. And if he is a backup, and maybe that's what he was not okay with originally, well, he needs to change his tune because they're, they're going to need him, and he's still going to get his fair share of carries. Uh, so I think he is the important part of this piece, and I, and I think he's really talented because we've seen it before. We've seen it two years now, uh, but he needs to be – he needs to keep all everything together for his junior year. And like I said, Stanley Williams would be fine. And I think Miguel Horton could even maybe, you know, I'm talking about how JoJo Kemp, how important he is, and he needs to do this and that. For as important as he is, I think Miguel Horton is a can be nothing but a positive for you because, one, not a ton of people are expecting all that much from him. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Uh, but like I said, he does have the body. He is still young, just like Stanley Williams. And if he can click, that would just be another added bonus. You saw some good flashes of him last season. Um, you need to see if he can continue that. Um, but all these guys are, are getting putting on more weight, more muscle, um, trimming some fat. Their bodies are, are great from everything I've heard. And, again, I think it is the strongest position on Kentucky's entire football team is this running back core, and I, and I I don't want to say Stanley Williams at some point in his career, this is this is getting too far ahead of ourselves, could be a Heisman candidate, but I do think he has the talent to uh, be an SEC first-team player at some point in his career. Um, he's incredibly skilled, ran for 486 yards, had 100 yards rushing against Georgia in a, in a blowout loss, had 126 yards against a great 
really, really good Louisville defense last year. Trevor, he almost willed his way to a win all by himself, and, and you saw that on that uh, carry, two touchdowns against Louisville as well. And also, I think you're going to see him more out of the backfield catching passes. Uh, he, he caught a few last year off the top of my head. I want to say maybe it was around 12 or 13, but... Uh, and I'm, I'm looking here in the Missouri game, he had five catches for 58 yards. I think that will be an important part for him, too, is to be able to uh, spread out the defense in the passing game. Also, he's deadly in a screen atmosphere uh, or on screen plays. So, uh, Kentucky fans, you should be excited about Boom and, and excited about the running back core as a whole, but I do agree with you, Trevor. If something happens where they're not as good as I'm talking them up to be, then the entire offense is going to have a pretty rough year. And, the, and three of the last four games, again, in the Tennessee game, I, I threw in there, you know what, because it was a blunder of a game and nothing good happened in that game. Was gives you positive think, a thought process to go into the season thinking Boom Williams can be your number one back. And my breakdown wasn't pessimistic or optimistic in any way. It was just mainly just giving a, an opinion, not saying that one would turn out bad or one would turn out good. I think that, but they do need a number one guy. And I think Stanley Williams showed last year, especially in the Louisville game, was very impressive. That I mean that he can be that guy, and him being able to catch the ball in the backfield is another key thing that you brought up. Because I wonder who's going to be that third down back. I mean, last year you had Braylon Hurd with 21 catches, leading all running backs in receptions. Outside of that, of course, Boom Williams, as you mentioned, had uh, what about maybe what 12 catches. Outside, other than that, JoJo Kemp had three. I mean, Mikael Horton had two. Yeah. So I mean, you've got to use be able to use somebody in a third down situation. And also, one thing I'd be interested to see as well is. How, how who if you're going to be a third down back? How good are you picking up the blitz? How how good are these running backs going to be in terms of picking up blocking schemes? Because that's as important as anything when it comes to being a running back. That's as important to me as picking knowing which hole to hit when you got the ball in your hands is picking up that blitz and picking up that scheme. Especially when you're talking about an offense line, which we'll get into. I know later on in the week and before the season starts, we'll talk about the line as well. But in, 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 especially in an SEC, you've got to be able to be a help out and pick up blitzes and pick up uh, linebackers coming at you, safeties coming at you and help protect both tolls' weak side as well as hitting the hole when you are handed the ball. And that's a that's a good point, and also I think that's – and I'm glad you brought that up because that may be the reason why JoJo Kemp didn't see as many carries is because that has been an emphasis on him. You could talk to Neil Brown uh, last season, and he would tell you that, that the running backs blocking, that's almost as important of a role as they're going to have is being able to pick up some of those blocks and help protect the quarterback and, and give Patrick Tolles more time back there. And JoJo Kemp, it never really seemed to click for him. So that'll be something to watch during fall camp to see if he's adapted to being a, a blocking running back. And a lot of these guys in high school, Trevor, and I know JoJo Kemp was a sophomore last year, which is still fresh. You know, that's that's that tweener stage, and that's where Stanley Williams and Mago Horton will be this year. But they didn't have to block all that much in high school because generally they were getting the blunt of the carries. They were getting the majority. Most running backs don't. Yeah, it's not something they really have to focus on uh, throughout their entire football playing day careers. And then they get to college and they're told, okay, uh, not only are you not going to get all the carries, you're not going to get maybe the majority of the carries. And when you're in... Uh, you might not even catch passes. We're just going to need you to block here like you are this three th- 320-pound offensive lineman. Uh, so block. Do it. Do it or else you can get out. And for some guys, they don't like that. They don't like having to make that transition. They don't quite realize that, okay, either you do that or you're not playing. And with JoJo Kemp, again, you look at his numbers and how much they decreased, uh, and especially when things didn't really go as well for him in some of those blowout losses, 
he wasn't huge on blocking, uh, playing a blocking role. So, you know, that will need to change for him. I, I would guess that it will. And then winning also kind of cures everything for these running backs. Everybody wants to get theirs. Um, you can't blame anybody for that. But as long as you're winning, it makes it a little bit easier to to play a three-headed monster running back if UK decides to do that. But I do think Stanley Williams will get the majority of the carries. I think you could uh, see him easily rush for 1,000 yards this season. I don't think that's crazy to, to think. It, but that could be harder if they do uh, rotate JoJo Kemp and Miguel Horton in and out. And then one player... Uh, that we have not talked about was the freshman that will be coming in, and he may or may not redshirt, but that's uh, Shaheen King, who is uh, UK got really late. That was kind of after the Damien. We could be talking about Damien Harris right now, Trevor, uh, but he's at Alabama. So after they missed out on him, uh, Shaheen King, they they went and, and got him. He's from Georgia. He's incredibly shifty. Uh, he's a guy that the staff was really high on to be able to get him that late in the game. Uh, but he is a, a three-star running back. I would imagine that he would redshirt. Yeah, there's no reason he should be on the field. Not no, with he, the, the guys we've already mentioned. Yeah, he. he I, I wouldn't imagine that he would be on the field. But again, yeah, he he, he could redshirt if he if somebody gets injured and he has to come in and play. It'd be a lot like a, a similar Stanley Williams situation, maybe not as talented, where you just have to rely on his athleticism. But a redshirt year could be big for him. Put on a little bit more muscle and understand the game, understand the speed, get adapted to all those things. I tell you, and one thing I want to see out of Stanley, and I mentioned this with Braylon Hurd as well, is, is being kind of that Barry Sanders-like uh, four carries for, you know, so many, four, three of them for negative and one for 60. And and, as a, and Williams will add some bulk, but I want to see it be able to give me that three three yards on occasion, four yards just on occasion. Don't give me, don't, don't let, let me see your stat line as a mirage. I mean, Blue Williams last year ran for 486 yards. One, two, he had almost 200, over 200 of those yards were on just four carries. So 70, so he had 74 carries for 486 yards, and so 70 of them were for just 200 yards. Almost half of his yards were on four carries. He had 53 against Ohio, 58 against Monroe. You mentioned the game against Georgia at 10 for 100. He had nine of those carries for 50 yards. One of them was for 56. And then the Louisville game would be the better example, the type of game I'd like to see on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis. From him, where he had 18 for 126, he had 143 yarder, but then, but he still had, he was able to, to pound it out the rest of the way. That's something you didn't see out of last year with Braylon Hurd. He just didn't look like a guy that, if he wasn't busting a big one, then he didn't want, look like he didn't want to be there. And that that's something you've got to, uh, you, you cannot do that with, in the SEC. You've got to have grinders. Yes, it's not sexy to go three yards in a cloud of dust in the Big Ten way, but it wins you, ba- it wins you football games. And it keeps your defense off the field a lot longer, and that's something you definitely need to do if you're Kentucky. Yeah, and and we we can talk more about this when we have more time. We're out of time on today's show, but tomorrow we'll talk wide receivers, which is uh, running backs are really important. Wide receivers are incredibly important with uh, not as much certainty, at least in my opinion. We'll talk about that. A lot of names are going to be thrown around on tomorrow's wide receiver. Trevor, do your homework again. I uh, want to thank hey, Justin. Wide receivers is a question mark. I said this on Greg with the TV show yesterday. That's my biggest question mark for Kentucky is their wide receiver position. It, it, it's Again, it's as important as the running backs, in my opinion, or, or at least close to it if you're ranking importance of offense. Uh, but, again, running backs, I think there's some certainty that they're going to be talented. Wide receiver, is that same certainty there? We'll debate it tomorrow. Uh, Again, thanks, Justin Rowland, for coming on. Trevor, always a pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday, 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll see you then.
Michael Jordan boy, show him how Kentucky do. Oprah preach classics, paint Kentucky blue. They say don't forget to seven, no be hitting two. Song call it bluegrass, song call it purple. I'ma call it home. Take a shot.